Well, good morning. Today, as we have seen and heard already, is Palm Sunday. Today is a day where churches all over the world reflect upon and celebrate the beginning of Holy Week. Today as well, we are wrapping up our sermon series we've been in during the, month, during the season of Lent. We've been looking at various things that happened in the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. And the passage that I'm about to read is from the first day of those last days we've been looking at as a church. So let me read for you from Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on the colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your spirit, we thank you for your son. And may your spirit use your word to point us to your son so that we can be encouraged where we need to be encouraged, strengthened where we need to be strengthened, challenged where we need to be challenged, and reminded of your love in all those things. In your name, amen. Well, if you've been around Covenant at all, or around even other churches regularly, you probably notice that when someone comes up to preach a sermon, they usually start with a story and opening illustration. Now, the goals of these stories is hopefully to capture your attention, to maybe help you find a connection with the person who is speaking, and ideally, to illustrate something about what the sermon is going to be about. And for me, when I work on an opening illustration, I like to find something personal that's going on in my life, a story about something maybe in my past or presently that's going on. I have used movies and books and podcasts as opening illustrations, but I prefer a story from my life instead. So last fall, my wife and I got to go to Italy by ourselves for a vacation. And I have to tell you that ever since that trip, multiple times have I been working on a sermon, I have thought of a story that I can use to open my sermon up. But then I realize it just doesn't seem right. I mean, first of all, I already get a ton of grief from my kids and some of the staff here when I say something like, well, when I was in Italy, as if I talk about it all the time. So that has stopped me from using that to open a sermon off. But also, if I tell a story about Italy, I'm bound to get various different responses from you as you're listening, perhaps. Maybe some of you, if I tell a story about my trip to Italy, might think, why is he telling us this? Is he showing off? Is he bragging? Maybe some of you, if I tell a story about my trip to Italy, you might think, man, I haven't been away on vacation for a long time. Maybe you would be longing for a trip and you would resent the fact that that hasn't happened. 
And then for some of you, I know you've been to Italy. In fact, some of you recently. And if I tell a story about Italy, you might start thinking of your own story, your own thoughts, and you won't be listening to what I'm trying to say. In telling about my trip, I believe there'll be different reactions and different perspectives from the one story that I tell. And I thought about this, different reactions from one story regarding the passage I just read for us today. This one story found in all four Gospels, this one event in the life of Jesus entering at Jerusalem had many different reactions and perspectives on what is going on and what Jesus was doing. For some on this road to Jerusalem, what Jesus does seems to point to him being a liberator coming to fight against the powers of Rome. For some on this road to Jerusalem, what Jesus does seems to point to him to be a threat to the religious leaders of his day. For some on this road to Jerusalem, what Jesus does seems to point to him being some kind of king in the line of David. On this road to Jerusalem, there were no doubt wrong expectations of what Jesus was doing from his disciples, from his enemies, and from the crowd shouting out, Hosanna. This one story had many different reactions and perspectives, just like I think would happen if I started an illustration talking about Italy. Now here's the thing I'm sure you noticed. I used a story about Italy and the fact I couldn't use it in an opening illustration as my opening illustration. And that was very intentional. See, everything that we just read about Jesus is very intentional. Everything we see in this account points to Jesus being very deliberate on his way to Jerusalem. What we see in this passage is what we have seen in the sermon series in the last days of Jesus' life. Every single action that Jesus does during the final week of his life has great significance for his disciples and for you and me. At the climatic time of Jesus' earthly ministry, he reveals himself with increased clarity. And he answers the question intentionally that the whole city is asking at the end of our passage. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Who is this king? Who is this leader? Who is this Messiah? These are great questions for us to ask, maybe for the first time this morning or the thousandth time this morning. Who is Jesus for you? What expectations do you have of him right now? What do you want him to be for you? Is he our king, our leader, and our Lord, even when we struggle and face hard times? Is he our king, our leader, our Lord, even if we don't feel like right now our needs are being met? Is he the king, leader, and Lord that we have created him to be in our mind? Or is he the king, leader, and Lord that he presents himself in passages like the one I just read? Very intentionally, Jesus shows us in this story that he is a king, leader, and Lord, and he is in complete charge. Our story begins with Jesus and his disciples about a mile or two away from Jerusalem. And they're on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sends two of his disciples on a task. He picks two of the disciples, and he says, Go in that little village in front of you. You're going to find a donkey and a colt tied up. I want you to untie them, bring them to me. And if someone stops you, like if the owner or one of the servants of the owner stops you from taking their animal... Just say to them, the Lord needs them. 
This is a strange command. Go and secure an animal that isn't mine, and if confronted, just tell them, I, the Lord, need it. And think about what these disciples must have been thinking about. Up to this point, in fact, very early, just before this this account, we read about the disciples longing to see who's the greatest in the kingdom. They want power. They want significance. They want recognition. And instead, they're sent on this menial task, it seems. Perhaps these disciples are excited to head to Jerusalem. The crowds are beginning to swell. There's energy in the air. Something is about to happen. And Jesus says, I want you two to leave and go bring me an animal. And they go because Jesus asked them to go. They obeyed the call of their master. Jesus is in charge back then, and Jesus is in charge today in our lives. Jesus directs lives today just like he directed the lives of the disciples back then. And listen, sometimes we don't like the call of Jesus. Sometimes we don't understand the call that Jesus gives us. Sometimes we wish the call was different than Jesus gives us. And sometimes we try to avoid the call of Jesus. The same Jesus that commands these disciples in this task commands us as disciples to live certain ways as we follow our King Jesus. And sometimes those ways are not ways we would naturally want to do or be. For example, Jesus calls us to be generous with our time, with our money, with our lives. Jesus calls us to care for people that maybe we don't like. Jesus calls us to love people we don't get along with. Jesus calls us to forgive people that don't seem to be worthy of being forgiven. Jesus cares how we spend our time, what we do with our bodies, and where our heart is, not just what we know and think. Maybe today, as we start Holy Week, we can ask God to show us those places we are not listening to the call he has given us in our lives. Maybe for some of us in this week of Holy Week, we need to repent of those ways that we try to avoid the call of God right now. The ways we rationalize why we are not obeying his call in certain areas of our life. And his call and his plan for us is good, and we can be confident despite how we feel, despite of what it looks like in our perspective, that Jesus is complete control of everything in our lives. To me, this is something I love about this story here and actually about the account of the whole week leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection that we have in the four Gospels. Jesus is the true king in control of everything going on. In many ways, Jesus is following a script. Everything has been planned and he has sovereign authority over it all. We see this in our passage here, not just by the fact that he says, here's how you're going to get the animals and he got the animals. But as well, this ride on this animal, fulfilling a prophecy, receiving the praise from the crowds, is a beautiful picture of what Jesus' leadership looks like. This ride into Jerusalem gives us a picture of what his kingship is all about. This ride into Jerusalem gives us a picture of what Jesus' rule and reign is all about. Now, nowhere else in all of the stories of Jesus that we have in the Gospels do we see Jesus or his disciples riding any sort of animal. We have never heard of Jesus requesting an animal for a ride anywhere. They walked everywhere or took a boat places. And now, about one or two miles from Jerusalem, after already walking about 13 miles from Jericho where they began, now is the time Jesus says, you know what? 
I think I need a ride. Why? Well, this is a deliberate gesture by Jesus as he's about to enter into Jerusalem. The time of concealment is over. Jesus has always had a plan of when and how he would reveal himself as king, and now was the time. Jesus had no interest in slipping into Jerusalem unnoticed. Among the people walking into the city, the thousands of people walking into the city, Jesus, on a donkey, presents himself as the messianic king that he has come for. It is clear that as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he is representing and allowing others around him to acknowledge that he is the anticipated king. He is the messianic son of David. Putting cloaks on the road and cutting branches from the trees to spread them on the road has been done in history before to celebrate a victorious king riding into town. The garments in Jesus' path symbolize the submission to him. The palms waving in the air symbolize victory and celebration. And the shouting of Hosanna from the crowds, the shouting the word, Oh, save! is a shout of praise to God and a prayer that he would save his people. The people, in a sense, have laid out the red carpet for Jesus, a ticket tape parade of celebration. And Jesus allows this to happen. He does not attempt to restrain the crowds from shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He doesn't attempt to stop these people from quoting messianic psalms like Psalm 118 about him. He has stopped people in the past from acknowledging his true identity, but not today. In fact, in the count in Luke on this very story, when the Pharisees asked Jesus to rebuke the crowds for what they're saying, Jesus says, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. If the crowds weren't going to give Jesus the praise right now, the rocks and the stones would instead. Jesus wants everyone to see very clearly and intentionally who he claimed to be and what he came to do. As the prophecy of Zechariah says, which are our Old Testament lesson quoted in verse 5 of our passage, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. He does not come as a conquering king like others before. He comes as the people's king. He comes to them. He comes for them. And he doesn't come in a warrior steed to conquer them. He comes as their king for them. He comes in both power and humility. Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. Donkeys were in our work animals. They are lowly and slow. They were not used in battle, but they were used to carry the materials for the soldiers that were in battle. And think about the significance of Jesus not riding on a battle horse, but a donkey, and what that means for our lives today. Look, I know this is a story we probably all know backwards and forwards, but think about the significance of God on a donkey. Jesus, the Son of God, riding on this animal. He does not come to terrify people. He does not come to drive out people or oppress people. He comes to help people. Jesus comes to carry people's burdens. Jesus comes to take on the burdens himself. And symbolically, this donkey is a sign of nonviolence and a sign of peace. 
A donkey in history has been used by a king, but only for a king in the time of peace. Jesus has come to Jerusalem not to battle, but to be a blessing. Jesus has come to Jerusalem not to oppress people, but to set them free. Jesus, as king, has come to serve, to sacrifice, and to provide all we need. And we need in our lives to see this Jesus who has come to us humbly. We need to see and believe in this account the authority and the lowliness of Jesus as Messiah. He allows the crowds to acknowledge him as Messiah, yet he illustrates his modest messiahship by riding a humble animal. See, Jesus is a very different kind of triumphal entry than what many among the crowds would have expected or wanted to see. The crowds, they wanted a prophet. I mean, that's what they say he is at the end of our passage. But this prophet would soon tell them that their city was under God's coming judgment. The crowds wanted a king in the line of David to rescue them from the evil and the oppression of Roman occupation. But instead, Jesus is going to rescue them from the evil and occupation of their sin and disobedience. The people wanted a Messiah to celebrate and be enthroned, but Jesus was not coming to Jerusalem to be put on a throne but to be put on a pagan cross to die. Jesus as king and Messiah is coming to save, not by taking power and killing, but by losing power and dying. Jesus is sovereign, powerful, leader, Lord, and king, and we must trust in him today. And Jesus is also the humble, peaceful king that would rather serve than be served, that would want to come to Jerusalem not to reign, but to die. We need both of these truths about Jesus to help us in our lives as followers of Jesus. We need to believe we follow and worship a king, who king who is in charge and in control. And we need to believe we follow a king who is one of peace, who came and suffered and died for us, who took on flesh and entered into our pain and suffering as our king. We need both these truths as we have our daily struggles, which we all do in our lives. We need these truths when we experience deep pain and suffering in our world. When evil seems to be winning. Like many of you, I'm sure, I've been rocked by the senseless killing in Nashville this past Monday. The shocking death of three adults and three nine-year-old children. And i got to be honest, as I was working on this sermon all week, And I was thinking about Jesus as a king in control and in charge, and I believe it to be true. I ate that this control did not prevent this tragedy from happening. I ate that once again the truth that our king has come in humility and peace does not stop the hatred and the evil and the killing from happening again and again and again. Once again, we weep about the evil in our world around us. Once again, as we've already done in our laments, we ache for a world where evil will stop having so much power. We weep today and hold to the truth that our King Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. And that Jesus longs for the day like we do, when he will wipe away every one of our tears forever. We weep and hold to the truth, even just barely, that we believe he is reigning right now. And we must believe the truth that the Apostle Paul reminds us of, which was our New Testament lesson about Jesus' reign right now. 
Let me read 1 Corinthians 15 again. This is about our king right now. For he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is not destroyed yet. We saw it again in all its horror this past week in Nashville. But death is the last enemy. Death, evil, and injustice is the reason why Jesus went on this donkey to Jerusalem as the humble king to die. Jesus came to enter into our pain and our suffering. Jesus himself was murdered in order to set us free one day from the last enemy that still has a hold on this world, death. So again, I ask the question of us all, who is this Jesus? He is our humble king in control who promises one day to return and bring his kingdom of glory, his kingdom of peace, his kingdom of joy, his kingdom of rest, his kingdom of hope, and his kingdom of righteousness forever and ever. Behold, your king is coming. May we enter Holy Week acknowledging him as our king, leader, and Lord, as our Messiah and king, and our only hope for salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray for you as our king to meet us wherever we are. For those of us that are running away from your lordship, from your reign, from your rule, bring us back to you in the love and kindness that you offer. For those of us that are aching right now and wanting to see more of you take control of things in this earth, meet us with your tears, with your love, and with your grace. And for all of us, may we see you as our King, as our Lord, and as one who loves us deeply and entered into Jerusalem for us, to die for us and take care of death as the last enemy. In your name, amen.